Dear sons and daughters of the Catholic Church in Scotland, Sacred Scripture bears eloquent witness to the unshakable faith which one generation of mankind to the next placed in God. From the time of Abraham onwards through the centuries, that truth remained firmly founded on God's promise to send a Savior who would deliver his people. Of all the expressions of faith, none was more spontaneous than but uttered by Andrew, the fisherman of Galilee. We have found the Messiah. So profound was the, the impression Jesus made upon him and their first encounter that early next morning Andrew met his brother and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And he took Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked hard at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Kepha, meaning rock. It was Andrew, the heavenly patron of, of, of your beloved Scotland, who introduced Peter to Jesus. Today marks another significant moment in the history of our salvation. The successor of Peter comes to visit the spiritual children of Andrew. We are bound one to another by a supernatural brotherhood stronger than that of blood. Here and now we testify that we profess that identical faith in Jesus and we firmly hope that we too can lead others to him.
this common profession of faith is the compelling motive behind my pastoral visit to your homeland. Dear brothers and sisters, we are gathered here on this Scottish hillside to celebrate Mass. Are we not like those first disciples and followers who sat at the feet of Jesus on the hillside near Capernaum. What did Jesus teach them? What does our Divine Master wish to teach us, each and every one of us today? With words simple and clear, Jesus outlined the requirements for admission to his heavenly kingdom. He offered reflections on every aspect of daily life. Jesus proposed a new concept of living. In the short introductory phrases to his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sounded the keynote of the new era he had come to proclaim. The new spirit is to be gentle, general, simple, and above all sincere to avoid being arrogant, censorious, or self-seeking. The disciples of the new kingdom must seek happiness even amidst poverty, deprivation, tears, and oppression. To aim for the kingdom requires a radical change in outlook, in mentality, in behavior, in relations with others. Just as the law was revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai, so in this sermon on the Mount, Jesus the new lawgiver offers to all mankind a new way of life, a charter of Christian life. It is this loving fatherhood of God 
which pervades every word of Jesus throughout this discourse he appeals to his listeners to respond to the Father with a response of filial love everyone who will be animated by this new spirit is a child of God this is not the spirit of slaves bringing fear into our lives again it is the spirit of sons and it makes us cry out Abba Father Love can ask more than fear can demand. Love will be the mainspring of the new era. Jesus affirmed this on a later occasion, saying, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we shall come to him and make our home with him it is essential for us to understand that Jesus has a specific task in life for each and every one of us. Each one of us is handpicked, called by name, by Jesus. There is no one among us who does not have a divine vocation. Now, this is what St. Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, which was proclaimed a few moments ago. Each one of us has been given our own share of grace, given as Christ allotted it and to some his gift was was that they should be apostles to some prophets to some evangelists to some pastors and teachers so that the saints make a unity in the work of service. First and foremost, God has called us into existence. He has called us to be. He has called us 
through his son Jesus Christ to a knowledge of himself as our loving Father. He has called us to be his children. He has called us to fulfill his eternal plan in our individual lives with Jesus as our guide. He has called us to be co-heirs with Jesus of his heavenly kingdom. What God our Father is offering us through his Son is a new life as his real children with Jesus for our brother. A pressing call to live, to love, to labor for the coming of his kingdom. And less bewildered at what we must do, we hesitate. Jesus offers to be himself our guide and says, come, follow me. <clears throat> Dearly beloved in Christ, what response has Scotland given in the past to God's invitation? Christian history narrates that from very early times, perhaps even as early as the second half of the fourth century, Scotland embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. For over 1,500 years, his holy name has been invoked in this land. Saint Ninian, Saint Columba, and Saint Kentigan were the first to evangelize the pagans and establish a primitive Christian church. Although situated geographically on the remote edge of Europe, the church in Scotland became especially dear to the popes. At the center and heart of Christianity, and they conferred upon it the exceptional title Specialis Filia Romane Ecclesiae, 
special daughter of the Roman Church. What a magnificent destination! What a magnificent designation! The 16th century found the churchmen and the laity unprepared for the religious upheaval of that day which vehemently swept away the medieval church from Scotland. Even this, however, forms part of God's providence for the centuries that followed witness a valiant struggle for survival in the face of persecution and exile. Who has not heard of St. John Ogilvy, the Jesuit? <laughs> Who only a few miles from where I now stand surrendered life itself to witness to the face of Christ. <clears throat> the Vicar's Apostolic, to whom the organization of all the missionary activity was entrusted, testified in their letters to Rome, to the attachment of that handful of Scottish Catholics, to the faith of their fathers, to the see of Peter, and to the person of the Pope, carefully preserved throughout all these years, these documents now serve as a mirror in which is accurately reflected the noble face of the Scottish Catholic community lined with the unmistakable signs of poverty and hardship, but radiant with expectation that in God's own time a new day would surely down for the church in Scotland. <clears throat> Dear beloved Catholics of Scotland, the prayers of our forefathers 
did not go unanswered. Their firm hope in divine providence was not disillusioned. Disillusioned. You are the heirs to the sacred heritage. Your forefathers have handed on to you the only inheritance they really prize, our holy Catholic faith. From heaven, their heartfelt appeal to you would be this. Set your hearts on his kingdom. With grateful hearts, turn to God and thank him that tranquil days have been restored to the Catholic community in Scotland. <laughs> what was a dream a century ago has become the reality of today. A complete transformation of Catholic life has come about in Scotland with the Catholics of Scotland assuming their legitimate role in every sector of public life and some of them invested with the most important and prestigious offices of this land. You originate in a glorious past, but you do not live in the past. You belong to the present, and your generation must not be content simply to rest on the laurels won by your grandparents and great-grandparents. You must give your response to Christ's call to follow him and enter with him as co-heirs into the, his Father's heavenly kingdom. But we find it harder 
to follow Christ today than appears to have been the case before. Witnessing to him in modern life means a daily contest, not so quickly and decisively resolved as for the martyrs in the past. The spirit of this world would have us capitulate on the most fundamental principles of our Christian life. Today, as never before, the basic doctrines of the faith are questioned and the value of Christian morality challenged and ridiculed. These things abhorred a generation ago are now inscribed in the statute books of society. Matters of such magnitude demand the fullest attention of our Christian generation, of our Christian conscience. To provide the answers to such questions is a daunting task. It would, it would be an impossible challenge for the majority of the faithful to attempt unaided. But you are not alone. The Spirit of God is operative in the Church. Never before, as in recent years, has the teaching of the Catholic Church been so extensively reformulated precisely with the issues that trouble the modern conscience in mind. It is sufficient to list the topics on which the Pope, the Ecumenical Council, the Synod of Bishops, and the various national episcopal conferences, including that of the Scottish bishops, have given authoritative, authoritative and clear statements of Catholic belief and practice for the guidance of the faithful in these perplexing times. In the name of all the shepherds of Christ's flock, to whom the office of pastors and teachers has been divinely entrusted, I assure you that we are acutely aware of the problems you have to face in life and of the anxiety which so often fills your heart. 
in fulfilling that solemn charge of leading the flock to eternal life, we must keep ever in mind the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Proclaim the message and welcome or unwelcome, insist on it, refute falsehood, correct error, call to obedience, but do all with patience and with the intention of teaching. Make the preaching of the good news your life's work. Allow me, therefore, to make my own the exhortation of St. Paul addressed to you in today's liturgy. I implore you to lead a life worthy of your vocation. And in Christ's own work, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Called by God our Father to be his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to the men and the women of this present generation whom you must lead to Jesus just as Andrew once led his brother Simon Peter. Let them be attracted by the example of your daily life, your commitment to the sure ways of Christian living could well be decisive in bringing salvation to many. The world still recognizes genuine goodness for what it is. Be loyal to the memory of those valiant forerunners in the faith. Be diligent in handing on intact the spiritual heritage committed to you. Be faithful to your daily prayers, to the Holy Mass and the sacrament of penance, meeting regularly with Jesus as a loving and merciful Savior. Defend the sacredness of life 
and the holiness of matrimony. Understand your holy Catholic faith and live by its teachings. Face up to the difficult challenges of modern life with Christian fortitude and patience. Did not Jesus himself say to his disciples, if anyone wants to be a follower of mine, let him renounce himself and take up his cross and follow me. Beloved sons and daughters, I have been kept fully informed of the careful preparations spread over many months which have preceded, preceded my pastoral visit to Scotland. With admiration and satisfaction, I have followed the intense program proposed by the bishops for a spiritual renewal of the Catholic community to ensure that the effects of my visit produce fruits that will endure. From the depths of my heart, I thank each and every one of you for the prayers that have accompanied this preparation, for every effort that has been made to guarantee its success. This is the day made memorable by the Lord. What immense joy for us! I commend, I commend you all, bishops, clergy, religious and laity, to the maternal intercession of Mary, the Immaculate Mother of God and Mother of the Church.
Before concluding, I wish to address for a few moments that larger community of believers in Christ who share with my Catholic brothers and sisters the privilege of being Scots, sons sons and daughters alike of this ancient nation. I know of the veneration in which you hold the sacred scriptures, accepting them for what they are, the word of God and not of man. I have reserved until now and should like to read to you the remaining words from that passage of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were all called into one and the same hope when you were called. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who is Father of all, over all, through all, and within all. passage clearly reveals that will, the will of God for, for mankind, a plan which human wills may oppose by cannot thwart. It is God's plan for all of us, for there is no eternal city for us in this life, but we look for one in the life to come. We are only pilgrims on this earth, making our way towards that heavenly kingdom promised to us as God's children. Beloved brethren in Christ, for the future, can we not make that pilgrimage 
together, hand in hand. one another charitably in complete selflessness, gentleness, gentleness and patience, doing all we can to preserve that unity of the spirit by the peace that binds us, binds us together. This would surely bring down upon us the blessings of God our Father on our pilgrim way. As we now proceed to celebrate Christ Eucharistic sacrifice, let us remember all those on both sides, both sides, who are affected by the conflict in the South Atlantic. In the joy of our concelebration today, we cannot permit ourselves to forget the victims of the world, both the dead and the wounded, as well as the broken hearts of many families. Let us beseech the God of mercy to give us peace in this our day, the peace of Christ our Lord. Beloved people of Scotland, in conclusion, in conclusion, I wish you and all who are dear to you, wherever they may be, the abundance of God's blessings, so that your families may prosper and peace and harmony may reign in your homes. May the prayers of the blessed apostles Peter and Andrew obtain this for you. For those who speaks who speak Gaelic, mo venach agus mo krate, 
grief anang yesa kriesta. beloved Scottish homeland, I wish to adapt and make my own the words familiar to many of you. Lord, let Scotland flourish through the preaching of thy word and the praising of thy name. Amen. 